Uh, last time uh, we looked at Isaiah chapter 60 and actually Kevin has just uh, uh, spoken about the darkness that we touched on from Genesis. Uh, that sin always brings darkness. And not only sin, where God has not worked by his spirit, there is darkness. Because in the verse he has just read, sin was not there, man was not there yet, but there was darkness. And God was communicating that where he is not working by his spirit, there is only darkness. That's what we were learning from Isaiah 60, that darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness covers the peoples. But by the ministry of the one who was to rise in Zion, the light of the world, the prophet said, Arise and shine, for your light breaks out. Your light shines. And this light is not the light of the people themselves. It's the light that was coming, breaking out among us. And it's the light of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who stepped into the darkness of this world. The Son of God, who is light of life. Uh, the one who has broken into even our own personal darkness of our hearts and souls and minds, those of us who are believers. And it is in Jesus now we start to see the light, to know light, to walk in the light, to love the light. Because in John chapter 3 we are told the verdict of the world is that the light has come, but people love darkness. People love darkness. And it is the nature of men to love darkness because of sin, the fall. But when God works in our hearts, we love the light. We love to serve Christ. And we saw in uh, Isaiah 60, we come with all we are. The nations and the kings were coming with all their flocks camels and silver and gold. They were coming to serve the light. And Isaiah was seeing this picture of Jerusalem as a city, but he was speaking more than the physical Jerusalem. And he was speaking about the kingdom of God that Christ reigns. That people start to see by the help of the gospel preached that God is worth my life. My youthfulness, my strength, my vitality, my mind, my career, my everything, Christ is worth it, and I will come to serve him with all that I have. When we have reached there by the grace of God, that is the meaning of salvation. That's the meaning of being born again, is to come to see God as worth it, as the treasure our lives desire and deserve to serve. So, Today you can guess the, the, the chapter and the book that I'm going to preach from. So open Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 as we meditate upon the theme of the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed who responds and who works on our human brokenness. The Lord's anointed who takes broken and beaten up and crushed humanity and restores them and heals them 
and then anoint them also with the same anointing and send them out into a broken world. That's the Christ uh, Jesus, and we are going to look at that in this 11 verses. Isaiah 61 says this uh, New King James Version. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable ear of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who shall see them acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. In 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Everlasting Father, as we look at your word and as we look at the glories that you have displayed of yourself in the person and work and ministry of Jesus Christ, we pray that Lord God, your spirit will rest upon us also mightily as the word is applied into our hearts and minds and souls as we are called 
oh Lord, by you into obedience and into following, into walking in the paths of righteousness, the paths of salvation, the paths of being priests and servants, ministers of the living God. The path, O oh Lord, of moving as you moved, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, with the message that heals, the message that is restoring creation to the praise of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. So as we come to Isaiah 61, I just want us to meditate upon three things. Number one is the anointed ministry. My title is the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed who heals the brokenness of humanity. The Lord's anointed. You can just simply uh, state that if you're writing. We are looking at number one, the, his anointed ministry in verse one to three. Then the anointed offspring, the anointed of the Lord when he comes, God gives him offspring. He gives him children. He gives him a people belonging to him. And these people are set apart in distinct characteristics as they live in a broken world. And these people participate in a distinct ministry as they share in the life of this anointed one. And lastly, we shall look at the anointed's praise. This is the anointed one plus his offspring, his people. They are praising and rejoicing before the throne of God before the magnificence and the glories of God that they have witnessed and continue to see, they praise God. Because brethren, the highest goal of salvation, it is not our own uh, fame, it is the fame and praise of the living God. The highest purpose, the pinnacle of it all, is that God harvest praise and glory from your life. It is the characteristic of sin to make man the center of his own life. It is the nature of sin to reduce God into a servant of man's gain. It is the characteristic of even false religion and beliefs to make God a means for our own glorification. And last time we hinted on that as you we were saying, even what we hear being preached must actually exalt God so high and humble man so low for it to be true faith, true preaching, true gospel. When man is raised to a pinnacle, when God is made a servant of man, that is an inverted religion, is a false religion, even if it appears the name Christianity. If God is made your servant, woe unto you, for that God is not the true God. Uh, but if God is made the highest reason for your living and your believing and your giving and your everything, glory to God and bless be your soul, for you are in the true faith. If God is the reason why you do what you do and not your, just your own self and your own good then the true light has broken into your heart so let's start with the anointed ministry we read from verse 1 that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me this is the anointed speaking 
And he's saying, because the Lord has anointed me. And the first thing, just by observation, we see is that the ministry of the anointed flows from Yahweh, from the Lord, from Jehovah, from the true God, from the only God in existence. The ministry of the anointed is not coming from any other lesser being. It is from the Lord. The Lord has anointed the anointed one with the spirit of the Lord. With the Holy Spirit. Brethren, when we think about Christ and we think about salvation, what is our anchor? What is our certainty that this thing is true? Why should we bank our faith and hope and lives and ears and eternity on Christ and on the gospel? Because it flows from the Lord. The message, the ministry, the healing, the promises, the salvation that is on Jesus Christ flows from Yahweh. From the one who told Moses, I am who I am. There is no one before me or after me. I am and I exist by the reason of being God. That is the reason why we can look to Christ today and throw our confidence upon him for he is and when Jesus came he spoke in that same language he said I am not I am becoming not I intend to be but I am in Christ in his essence is the whole sufficiency of God himself what will you look for in Jesus and lack oh precious people you will lack nothing good in Christ for he is, in essence, he is part of the triune God. He is the Lord. Will you seek salvation? Will you seek the benefits you look at in a minute and lack them from Jesus? You will not lack them. Why? He lacks nothing. He is the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. So that's the first thing we see here. The salvation, the ministry of the anointed one flows from the Lord by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It flows in abundance to those whom Christ has been made to shine before them. Number two, we notice that the ministry is the powerful outworking of the triune God. It is the Lord the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, who is speaking, the anointed, and what has happened upon him, the spirit of the Lord. There is the spirit, there is the Lord God, there is the anointed. Who are these three? It is the Godhead. It is not a human being added into God. It is not a, a, the prophet Isaiah called and, and told, oh, prophet Isaiah, of course, the prophets were anointed in a sense. But the one speaking here, as we shall see in the use of these verses by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is speaking here is not a mere man. Is the whole trinity, the Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Spirit declaring how they shall reclaim the lost creation, the fallen humanity. This is why we are confident because the whole Godhead is involved in your salvation. Can I hear an amen? 
This is not man. This is not the apostles who or the disciples who thought of something that men can be preoccupied with for some time. It is not the prophet who so oh men are so lost. Let us come up with that with something. No, it is the triune God in heaven who in himself loved, in himself chose, in himself gave, in himself he saves, in himself he sustains those he saves. How can we fail in this salvation, brothers and sisters? How can we fail when it rests upon the Trinity, the true God in his power, in all his spirit, in all his might, and as we shall also learn, in all his good pleasure? How can this salvation be a trial and error? How? By which calculations? If it is Christ who saves, he saves to the uttermost. Why? His salvation is the outworking of the triune, the entire Godhead. And also, his ministry is the powerful outworking of God. It's not just God wishing to do, it is God working out powerfully in the anointed and through the anointed. Every time in the, in the Bible, the term or the spirit of the Lord is, is spoken of, especially in the Old Testament, and also we see this in the New Testament, the spirit carries the sense of God in action, the powerful God in action. When we have been read here uh, by Kevin in Genesis 1, we see that there was darkness and chaos on creation, and the spirit of the Lord was hovering, and when God speaks, and the spirit work, there is the forceful work of God that turns chaos into order and beauty and design. That's how we are to hear when we hear the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The powerful God is wholly exacting his saving work in and through the person of the anointed. We can have some ideas of Christianity that sends chill and cold water of people's souls when they, they, they ask themselves, how shall we make it then if Christianity is like that? But when we come face to face with where it comes from, the triune, powerful, working God, working through the Son, and then we know this cannot fail. This is a, the sure thing. Jesus, upon him, is the powerful hand of God. When you read especially the book of Isaiah and the prophets, when they are speaking about how God shall renew his work in Israel through the Messiah, they speak of the outstretched right hand of God. The powerful hand of God. Which is the hand of God? Does God have a physical hand that he raised on this side and when he raised on this side, people on that side are not really and die because the hand is on this side. No, God does not have a physical hand. But God has all his power extended towards his purposes in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the right hand of power of God is at work. In Christ. So when we hear the, this verse, just verse 1, we should hear this with things. That the ministry of Christ is the outworking of God in power. That it is the outworking of the entire Godhead. And also, the next thing we see is, who is this anointed one? And I will take you to uh, Luke's writing. Luke chapter 4, 
16 to 21, and we hear Jesus himself, how he used, how he used this text upon himself. Luke 4, 16 to 21 says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Who is Isaiah speaking about? Who is he speaking about? He is speaking about Christ Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he reads that text and he does not say, Expect another anointed one. He does not say, as God had anointed Isaiah, I'm somehow anointed like him, so I'm applying this text in this way. He says, this text, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one anointed by the Lord with the spirit, with power. The whole trinity, the whole Godhead is working in me to bring you salvation. And the Jews looked at that and some, some, some marveled, some said he is speaking well, but some started to say, but is this not jo uh, uh, the son of Joseph the carpenter? And his brothers and sisters, we know them. And they took offense and Jesus told them, a prophet is not received in his own hometown. And you will even quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And we are told that he made away. They wanted actually to throw him off the cliff after that. He, being God, passed through them and evaded that trap. We also told when in, during his baptism in Matthew 3.16 that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest upon him and behold a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The anointed one is the beloved son of God. He is God the son. The anointed one is not just the son of Joseph as it was supposed or Mary the mother. The anointed one is not just a Jew from the descendants of Abraham. The anointed one is the beloved son of God and he has come through the anointing of the Lord in power, in the whole Godhead working in him to bring us what we need most. John says that as he bore witness to Jesus in John 1, 32, I saw the spirit descend like a dove from heaven. It remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, him on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. Not descend and depart, descend and remain. That is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Also we are told that in Acts 10, 
that gave that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Why should you look to Christ this morning? For your salvation if you are not a believer. And for your continued keeping and, and preservation if you are a Christian. Why? You should look to Christ because in him is the fullness of Godhead for you. In him is the whole God, the whole qualities, the whole blessing, the whole life of God is in him for you and through you as we shall see for the purpose he has called you for in himself. Christianity is a failure of union with the Son. And with the Son to the entire Godhead. Christianity is a faith where in the Godhead right now, there is one who, ha- who bears our image. Our perfected humanity is in God in the Godhead right now, in heaven. Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, did not shed, shed off his humanity and went just as a pure uh, uh, divine being with no humanity. He is the God-man even in heaven. He is the perfected humanity joined into Godhead that in Jesus we may be united with God. Anyone who believes in Jesus is united with God in the most intimate way. Such that Jesus could say, in that day, you shall be in me, I in you, and I in the Father. And the Father are together with you in me. There's this organic, intimate union between believers and, and God that there is no way to divide you after you are united with Jesus by the work of the Spirit. This is salvation. This is salvation. We see that Christ is the culmination of the, all the anointings of the Old Testament. Do you know the kind of people who are anointed with oil in the Old Testament? Who are they? There are three categories. Number one, the kings were anointed as they were being set apart for the office. The prophet came with oil, like, like in the case of David, even Saul, and oil was poured. Oil prepared by the instructions of God according to the patterns that he showed Moses. This was not common oil. It was oil prepared specifically by God's instruction to represent the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the kings were anointed like that. Who else? The priests. When they were 30 years old, and there were two kinds of uh, priests. There were just the general uh, uh, Levites who were helping in the tabernacle. Then there were the sons of Aaron, who were the priests. Then there was the one appointed high priest, who is the brother of the, of, of the sons of, of, uh, of Aaron, after Aaron. So there was... The high priest, the priest, the Levites, they were all consecrated by the anointing of the Spirit. Then there were the prophets also, anointed, consecrated by the pouring of the Spirit. So in Jesus, all these three offices are bound into one. And the perfect prophet, the perfect king, the perfect priest is in our midst in the person of Jesus. What is the work of the prophet? Is to mediate God's word to men. The prophets came and said, Thus says the Lord. What did Jesus do when he came? 
We are reading John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And that word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. The, the expressive will of God is in the person of Jesus. Do you want to know God? Receive, believe in Christ. Do you want to hear the mind of God, the will of God, the counsel of God? Receive, believe, treasure, live with Christ Jesus. He is a true prophet. He proclaims the mind of God to the world. He speaks the counsel of God because in himself he is God. He is also the true king. In Matthew 28, 19, after he is raised from the dead, he proclaims that all authority, all power and authority over all things in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus reigns over Satan this morning. Jesus reigns over demonic powers this moment. Jesus reigns over all circumstances and all governors and all politics and all economies. Jesus is the present Lord and King over all things. All minus nothing. Jesus reigns over coronavirus this very moment. Jesus reigns over destinies and, and cosmos and creation over all things. Jesus is the one holding even the composition of the air we are breathing together. Hebrews chapter 1. He holds everything together by the power of his word. Jesus is king. Jesus is the Lord. After his suffering and uh, death, resurrection, you told in Hebrews, and also in Psalms 110, God raised him, exalted him, and commissioned him as his right hand and gave him all authority and all power. You ask, weren't they, uh, they them, uh, all of them his in the beginning? Yes, they were. But in his incarnation, he's becoming man. He had emptied himself of the glories, the manifest glories of God to confine himself to humanity. When he is he has suffered and has been raised, even his humanity is joined to share in all authority and all power. So in Jesus, the perfected human nature, our own human nature, which has been glorified, reigns over all things. The one Christ who is God and man, in one person, reigns over all things. Such that those who are joined to Jesus will not be overcome by Satan and the enemy and sin. Why? Christ in his humanity, exalted and glorified, reigns over all things, reigns over Satan and sin and the world and all creation. How can you be united with this true king and be lost, brothers and sisters? You cannot. You cannot. On the other hand, somebody can think to be in Jesus. I love the exposition of John 15. Uh, and I, I love that because most people do not follow uh, through the thoughts of Jesus Christ there. So they, and, and it's a bad translation to just say uh, the branch that does not bear, uh, uh, the, he just comes and cuts them immediately. The first thing is that if, if that branch is in united with Jesus Christ, what it does is he lifts, he nourishes, he cleanses, he prunes, and that branch will bear. 
even as united with Jesus. But there are branches that think they are united with Jesus Christ. These are the things that will become religious. Uh, you know, Jesus said in so many parables, this is the parable of uh, the good fish and the bad fish. They are together. So you fish and you have to remove the bad one and throw them away. It, it, it is the foolish and the wise virgins. They, they look the same, isn't it? They look the same. But it's the sheep and the goats. They are hard together, but the sheep belongs to Jesus Christ. So if you belong to, if you are united with, to Jesus Christ in a true living faith, and the Spirit of God has bound you to Christ, you will not be lost. You will grow. You will be a fruit. Yes, we will discipline you. Hebrews 12. He will sanctify you. He will prune you. He will deal with you as a son, and you will not be lost. But if you just be religious and think yourself to be a Christian, and in your life there is no fruit of, of loving God, of uh, hating sin, even when you sin, you're just okay. You may be deceived as you're a Christian. And with the time, you may actually denounce and say, I'm no longer a Christian, but you are not a Christian to begin with. Some people say, ah, I was born again, spirit filled, but now I'm no longer a Christian. No, you are not a Christian. If you were a Christian, you remain to be a Christian, for you are united with the one in whom, who is life and power and authority. If you are Christian, yes, you may be tempted. You may even go through a phase of, of, of sin and unbelief and dishes and discouragement. But because you are united with the one who overcame all, the reign, one reigning of all things, he will reach for you. He will discipline you, correct you, he will prune you, he will deal with you as a son, and he will awaken you once again, and you will be with him. You will be the testimony that you are truly his. By how he bears fruit. So Jesus is a perfect prophet, the king. He's a true priest. What did priests do in the Old Testament? Priests were just appointed from that one tribe, and not all of it as I've said. Some were just to assist the level as the priest. The priesthood is the family of Aaron and his descendants. The Levites are all Levites. And uh Levi was the father of all of them, but there was a line that was taken to represent the high priest and priest Aaron and the Levites to assist the priest. The priest used to take the sacrifices and offer them on behalf of Israel. And they used to intercede, to pray, to, pray, to plead for them before the presence of God. They represented Israel to God. Now, in Jesus... He is a true priest, how? Because in his life, he has offered the perfect sacrifice for all the sins of all God's people. Once and for all, Hebrews 7 tells us. Jesus is no longer offering any sacrifice for sin. He offered once and for all. And as an anointed true high priest, the sacrifice for sin for God's people is done. Can you say done? There is no more suffering, no more offering, no more nothing for God's people. It is that one objective historical sacrifice of Christ. It is that one that is everlasting salvation for all those who believe in Jesus. No more offering. So Jesus is that one who lives in the presence of God to intercede for us as the anointed one. Anointed one. I remind you what we are looking at here. It's the anointed one. 
the one who has been smeared with the oil, who, on whom the Spirit of God dwells abundantly, fully, without leaving, abiding upon him as the true prophet, true king, true priest for the gods, for all God's people. And also, second, we see that the ministry of Christ Jesus is a ministry to the brokenhearted. From verse 1b, let's read that and remind ourselves. Jesus has been anointed to do what? To preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable ear of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, oil for joy for mourning, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So Jesus is anointed for a purpose. He's anointed to bring salvation to all those who need it. And not just need it, to all those who need and desire it. All humanity, as we said last time, need salvation. But not all humanity desire, want, long for salvation. That is where we say Jesus Christ Sacrifice is sufficient to save every human being who has ever lived, who ever lived on earth, but he will not save all people. Jesus' salvation is great, is sufficient, it is once for all, and it can save every soul on earth today. Everyone here can be saved in Jesus, but not everyone of us will be saved. Because some of us will trust our own self. Some of us will not desire that salvation. Some of us will not see the brokenness and the need that Christ came to address in your heart. Some of us will still say, no, I'm whole. I'm good. I can do this. I got this. And people like that will, the proud and the stout-hearted, those who beat their chest like that, they go all the way to ultimate destruction. Despite the sacrifice of Jesus being sufficient, save them. Remember we say the anointing of the Spirit on Jesus speaks of his power. The all power of the all living God. Is the power of God to save limited? No. Is the power of God to save overpowered by a, a rebellious person? No. But God saves a certain kind of people. Who are these? Those who appreciate their need for salvation and who desire it and long for it. Look at these words. Jesus preaches good tidings to the poor. Good tidings, the Hebrew one here proclaimed or, or have the picture of news worth rejoicing after. They are the kind of news somebody cannot contain. The kind of news that send you on your feet and screaming and jumping. That's the good tidings. And the poor are those who are needy and they know they are needy and they are meek, they are humbled by their need and they look to God for their salvation. Those are the people who will hear the good tidings of Jesus Christ. So if you are here and you are aware of your spiritual need, you 
When people are not with you, when you are alone, you cry under the weight of your sin. And you long to be free. You long to know the joys of the singing Christ. Jesus is there for you today. He knows his anointing and power to be for your salvation. But if you are not brought by the grace of God to the realization of your need, if you don't know that you are poor, if you don't know that you are broken-hearted or you ought to be broken-hearted for your sin, to, to, to feel that in yourself there is nothing good to bring to the Holy God, Jesus has come to bind you up. You know that he binds the broken-hearted. To bind here has a sense of to compress and stop the bleeding, to stop the flow, to stop the issue of the fluids of life from your body. Jesus has come to stop the, the flow that would send. If somebody is cut here and blood is coming out in force, it is, either an artery has been cut, you know, the cuts for veins are not really serious, but arteries, as the heart pumps blood, it finds a, 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 an opening and it gushes out of the body. That person will not live for long. Actually, we, we better get a, a, a clean piece of cloth and tie tightly, wrap tightly, isn't it? So that we can rush that person to the hospital before all the life flows out of the body. The human picture is like that. We keep, after the fall of sin, Jesus, uh, uh, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat, on that day you eat, you shall surely die. There is the death that immediately happens, spiritual death, separation from God, and even as we live, we experience the repercussion of that death day by day. Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the, the, the decaying of corruption and the corruption of creation. That even our own bodies, our own life, our vitality and strength keeps on leaving us, leaving us. Right now we are youth towards the peak of our strength. What happens after that? start going down. That's the reality of human life in sin and creation that has fallen in sin. We reach the pinnacle of our strength. We reach even political or, or, or academic or economic power and then down in the grave. But Jesus has come that that hopeless picture be not our reality. So he has come to bind up the broken hearted. Sin has crushed and deformed man through and through. Every part of, the, of man. Genesis 6.5 says that God looked at the imaginations of man. They were corrupt continually. Isaiah 1.5-6. Listen to this. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. The sole of the feet, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. This is our human condition outside of this anointed one. From the head, of the, uh, from the head to the sole of, of our feet, there is no soundness in us. Moral soundness, spiritual soundness. The life of God, the moral astuteness and, and 
brilliance and glory and holiness of God is not in us. We are corrupted in our sin. We are separated from the radiance and the light of God. We are in darkness, Isaiah chapter 60. Without this anointed one, we live our lives, though we are walking and though we are strong and though we are youth and though we are studying and relating and investing and starting businesses and doing all these things and constructing skyscrapers and making uh, uh, products and all these things that we are doing as human beings. We are sick. We need to be bound up. We are separated from the life-giving presence of God outside of Christ. We are hurt. We are crushed. We are destroyed. We are burst. We are broken into pieces. Also, Christ proclaims liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. Human beings in our own sin, we are not at liberty. We are captives. And liberty here when Jesus comes, he proclaims a rapid freedom. You know the kind of a flash of a second prison break? If, if there are people who are bound and there is a sudden move of power that breaks the chains and breaks open the doors and they rush out. That's a picture here communicated by the proclamation of liberty. And proclamation here has to the sense of Encountering a person and addressing him personally. Kevin, you are free. That's a picture here of proclaiming liberty. How does this happen? It happens through the proclamation of the gospel. You, all of a sudden, you are walking like this. You hated God. You loved your sin. You had the gospel. Something lived in your heart. And all of a sudden, you knew you were free. That's a picture here of the gospel power. That you were living in your lust and in your addictions and, and all your corruption. And you had the king, you had the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, calling. And your heart leapt out in joy. I'm free. And free indeed. Then God Almighty, I'm free. This is the gospel power. Have you experienced it, my friend? Have you? Have you experienced this freeing of your soul from the chains of smaller joys? And I'm not saying, asking, are you perfected in holiness? Like, you don't sin anymore. I'm saying that now there is a, a superior joy that is fighting to, for you to continue in, in knowing God. A joy in Christ. You used to love sin and love corruption and, and hide yourself in some small uh, corners of darkness and live your own secluded life of sin. And on the outside you seem like you are whole, but you met the gospel, you met Christ, and you're free. He proclaims, he calls by name and proclaims liberty, and he proclaims liberty to the captives. These captives, the sense here is of people who are brought by force away from where they belong. This is like communicating the picture of Israel when Nebuchadnezzar broke into Jerusalem and Judah and took captives by force to Babylon. And we have Dave, uh, Daniel and the rest uh, who are carried. And you can see the injustice which this superior power is exercising on them. They are taken from their home. They are forced to eat what they do not eat. They are forced to learn things that they, are, they do not learn and new languages. That is the forceful captivity Satan has taken human beings under. Jesus is not coming to play games, brothers and sisters. 
He is not endowed with power from on high to play games, to play skits, to entertain a, a, a not so bad humanity with a fan. Oh, just come to church and Oh, just draw your stress away. Be entertained. We love you people. Jesus is not playing such games. Jesus has come with the power to break free, to shatter your prison gate and let you out with joy. This is a Christ who is anointed to free the captives. What else? He opens the prison. He, the prison here is a sense of a dungeon. It's a dark place that is filthy and away from life. Pali, milango kama kumi zinafunguliwa zikifungwa. Have you ever seen such kind of movie? Where huge doors are opened. People are descended. Another door. And it is darker and darker. And it is filthy na ukochini. That is where human beings. Outside of Jesus, that's where people live. In dungeon of sin. And, and fields of generation after generations. You know, Romans chapter 1 says that humanity in rebellion keeps on perfecting what is corrupted. They know that God hates this, but they keep on inventing new ways of sinning. So when you are born, don't think that you're just born into this advanced generation <laughs> that is of the gentlemen and, 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 and ladies. No, you are born into a long line of perfected wickedness. Now we do sin in more sophistication than the previous generation. Now we lock ourselves somewhere and we open a whole world of pornography with a phone. And we corrupt ourselves away in a comfort of our beds, alone. Now we have print media that has advanced in high color and graphics. The, the pornographic culture of the Greeks that used to use, use just words and go to such a theater and women are paraded here. That is no longer just enough. There was a lot of investment for that kind of immorality. Mukuja, mtrava, all the way, mnyeshawe, mkuje, just to entertain yourself in wickedness. No, right now, as the comfort of your gadget alone. Some of you here are in that prison. You know, you know how frustrating it is. We have experienced, I have experienced it too. And I know the liberty of this gospel breaking out into your heart and giving you higher affections for Christ, for God. This is what Jesus is anointed to do, brothers and sisters. It's good to come to church, it's good to uh, sing is good to dance, it's good to have all this fun, but let us not lose sight of the difference between a church and a cinema hall. The church will meet the sovereign, powerful God with the power for our own struggles. That's where we meet Christ. In the gospel, we meet the anointed one, the Messiah. He is called Christ, the anointed one. Jesus Christ. Christ is not the second name of Jesus. Just the way I'm called Joseph Jacob. No. Christ is the office of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior who is anointed. Christ, the anointed one. Then he proclaims the acceptable ear of the Lord. 
This year has a sense of age, not just one year, 360 something days. The age of God's favor and mercy is proclaimed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is a wrong age of mercy to a fallen humanity, to a people who are bound, a people who are in, in, in all this prison and heartbrokenness condition. This is an age of grace. When did it start? When did the age of grace start? The age of the gospel? The new creation, New Testament age, when? After Christ died and was buried three days. Remember we are told that God exerted power in Ephesians 1 to raise him from the dead and exalted him, glorified him. And after he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the church, to indwell believers, and the age of offering this mercy and grace to the whole world started there. This is when Peter can stand and preach the gospel and 3,000 people run from their dungeons and their prison, their captivity, and they run to this Christ offered to them in mercy and grace. This is the age we are living in, brothers and sisters, that as I'm preaching here, God is applying this word into a heart that has been hard and lost and in sin, and you're seeing that Christ can be your Savior. Christ is sufficient to save you and keep you and love you and free you from the chains of evil. This acceptable ear has to do with, or the picture in the Old Testament is the ear of Jubilee, the 50th year. After the day of atonement, when the high priest went into the inner place of the blood and offered a sacrifice for the sins of Israel, that 50th year, that day of atonement, they sounded the trumpet and proclaimed, Jubilee, liberty, liberty. All those who are in, in slavery, they returned to their own property. Everyone who had sold a land like 30 years ago, that land ceases to be of the person who was sold and now Ndoka Unarudi Koshambayako. Because the land belongs to God. Israel belongs to God. So anyone who was in slavery had sold himself to somebody to pay some debt. From that day, the debt is cancelled. Go home. If he had sold a land somewhere, and he returns to his own land, to his own life of freedom and inheritance. Brothers and sisters, sin has robbed humanity of the true inheritance, which is God himself. God known, God delighted in, God served with all of our strength. Now we live for smaller things outside of Jesus. Now we live just to have a paper and get some money and get some apartment and get some car and it breaks down and we get another one and we grow old and we die. Now we live for some Roads to be named after us, and somehow that is eternity, immortality. That is the smaller things humanity are living for today. But in Jesus, immortality and glory has been proclaimed to those who are lost. And we come to the anointed offering or offspring. Sorry, from verse 4 to 9, we are told of when Jesus frees and heals and binds us, what happens? He restores the people who are in prison, in dungeons, and heals them, and they become builders of ancient ruins. People who are 
in sin, bound under Satan, they come to Jesus and Christ heals and clothes them with righteousness, clothes them with holiness, clothes them with the favor and love of God. They know the joys of fellowship with Christ. Then they are sent out by Jesus to be changed, to be to start a chain reaction of impact. Are you seeing that? That Christ is anointed, he calls you, you believe, then he sends you out with the message to share even with you as you study, as you live with your brothers, as you live with your mother and father and guardian, you share with them the truth of Christ and you see that message changing their hearts. This is the picture proclaimed here about building buildings. The build ancient ruins. Former devastations. To repair ruined cities. Devastation of many generations. This is not just physical cities. It is the same picture communicated above there. Of the heart. Of lives broken by sin. Of marriages crippled by, by addiction and lust and unfaithfulness. Of a, a young person bound by addiction that is ashamed of him or herself. You go there with the gospel and for the first time they see the powerful God who can save them. That is the rebuilding of the cities. This offspring comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Verse 5. We are told that the Gentiles, the nations come and serve the cause of the kingdom of God and they come with their wealth. And that thought we passed through it last time. And these people are made to be priests of God. Now, priests do what? Priests to go before God and intercede for the lost. And pray for those who have not known Christ. In this campus, I've seen the schedule for the week. And I thank God you meet and you pray. As you pray, as you plead for the souls of your friends who are lost, you are participating to be priests unto God in Jesus. And then you become ministers, ministers, servants of God. The purposes of God are in the hands of this saved one. And what shall we do as we finish? We praise God. Look at verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. This is the cry of both Christ and his children. Two believers look at Jesus and there is something to rejoice in him every day. They look at themselves, they see their condition and they, they know that it is getting better. I'm getting sanctified. Christ's return is nearing. Christ has purchased for my redemption, my salvation. Christ is mine forevermore. I bless my God. I glorify the one who gave himself for me. So we rejoice for what? I greatly rejoice in the Lord. Be joyful in my God. A sinner is saying that Jehovah is my God. My God. I was an enemy to God, but now in Jesus, he is my God. He is my father. Even when I am ashamed to come through sin, but I come repenting, I come trusting, I come looking to Jesus. Oh my Father, my God. Not just God. Jesus taught to pray. Our Father. Abba. Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit causes us to cry out to God. Abba. Our, my Father. Our Father. And 
He has also done something. He has covered me with a garment of salvation. He has robed me with righteousness, his own righteousness. And he has beautified me with ornaments and jewels. Can you see the picture here? Those people who love wedding shows here. The bride. The, the bride are the bride married the way our sisters are dressed today here? Are they? No. That day there is beautification, there is all this jewelry and gown. That is the way here God is saying in Jesus. He where sin had covered us like a garment. Christ covers us with his righteousness and he gives his ornaments. So, brothers and sisters, what are you getting out of this sermon? You should feel the weight of the glory of Christ's salvation. You should come face to face with the seriousness of your sin and your condition in it without Jesus. It is dungeon, it is captivity, it is corruption, it is being taken away by force by Satan and sin and lust. But also you should see the wonder of the power and the mercy that is in Jesus for you extended this day to come and receive. And for you believers, you should see that you are called to participate in the restorative purposes of God. You are called right now to go to Christ and to pray. Show me where you have called me. Show me the gifting. Show me. Lay on me a burden for the lost. A burden for your purposes on the earth. I call upon you. I offer myself. Because the Bible has said they shall be made into what? Priests and servants of God. Priests and servants of God. So I would like you to bow down. And in your heart of hearts, you fall into this category. It's one of them. You, either you are a believer and you desire to rejoice in salvation and to participate in his purposes in the world. Or you are an unbeliever. You are in prison, in dungeon, you are in captivity. You are lost. You cannot save yourself. But there is one anointed for you right now. Call upon him. For the believers, pray that this joy of salvation will Awaken in your heart. Pray that the burden of God's call in Jesus to participate in good works, participate in prayer, in intercession for the lost, in evangelism, in ministry, that you will feel and you will come to terms with that burden and you will obey. For the one who is not a believer, pray that God will have mercy upon you through the powerful anointed ministry of Jesus, and he's able to save to the others. He is anointed. He is has all power, all reign, all mercy, all grace extended to you today. So call upon the name of the Lord, and he will have mercy. Everlasting Father, we thank you because of the power of your word. We thank you because from beginning of the universe to the end, you have the one purpose of revealing your glory. And purchasing a people for yourself. And you don't do this thing lightly with jokes. You do it with power. You do it, God, with exuberant kind of display of your majesty. You do it in Jesus. You do it by breaking chains. You do it, God, by dealing with sin and Satan and the world. 
you do it God by lighting the light in hearts of people who are going one direction and they turn they turn and from that day they know they are free because Christ has entered into their hearts and Lord God you use these men these people, these women, these young people you use such to display your glory in a fallen world Father do that work in us do that work here Father let the light of Christ shine so brightly in these hearts, in our minds. Those who are not born again, call them forth from darkness and prison. Break the bounds and the bindings of iron and brass and the chains of sin and addiction. Break them by your spirit, O oh God, and bring them into liberty. Those who are Christians, let your spirit work in their hearts Lord, to see, rejoice in salvation and offer their lives to the serving, the ministry, of the glory of Christ in the world in all various ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.